This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I listened to myself. I saw what happened. We're listening to your instincts. Uh, my instincts are a big part of it. That's been the thing that's gotten me to where I am, my instincts. Are you calling the shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. It was my decision. about today is the myth of the virtuous woman but i what i really wanted to talk about first and i think i'm going to have to do that talk about first is something i i didn't actually finish but is what i'm thinking of doing is starting a, a men are not dogs campaign so i'm going to probably try and raise some money. And I wanted to share, I'm going to share this link with you to this, and I'm going to share you with you a link to go to Veronica's insurance. You And you can use some of the materials that's here to ask her to stop betraying men as dogs in her advertisements. And this is what scripture says here first, to compare a human to a dog or to call them a dog was to imply that they are of very low status. And you can see all the um, citations in scripture for that. And in the New Testament, calling a human a dog meant that the person was considered evil. And I, I, ran, I got this study here, basically in the Journal of Language and Social Psychology, Beastly, what makes animal metaphors offensive? And this is just the ab the abstract, and you have to pay for this. But there's a there was an article on uh, why it's so offensive when we call people animals, and and I just want to go over some of the things that were in that article. And many animal metaphors are straightforwardly offensive. 
rather than simply representing a particular trait. Calling someone a pig, rat, ape, monkey, dog, maggot, or leech carries a derogatory meaning and a strong emotional and moral charge. We found that some animal metaphors are highly objectionable because the comparison itself is dehumanizing. When people call others apes, monkeys, or dogs, for instance, they are likening them to animals that are not disliked, unlike rats or snakes, but these metaphors convey the message that these people are literally subhuman. Our research suggests that the most common of these negative attributes of depravity, disagreeableness, and stupidity, and in essence, when we call someone an animal, in the general sense, we are ascribing these flaws to them. That humans are moral, civil, and smart, and animals are not. And it's been argued that animal metaphors reveal a deep sense of hierarchy in nature, according to the ancient idea of the scala naturae, or the great chain of being. Humans sit one step above animals, who themselves sit above plants and then minerals. Just as we are the third rock from the sun, we are the third step from the top of the, of the ladder with God and angels above us. In this hierarchy, humans have supposedly unique powers of reason and self-control, whereas animals represent unrestrained instinct. To call someone an animal is therefore to demote them to a lower rung of existence, a more primitive state of being where they lack human virtues. It would be comfortable, comforting if dehumanizing metaphors, metaphors and hierarchical ideas about humans and animals were just historical curiosities. Regrettably, there is ample evidence that they endure. People are surprisingly willing to rank some humans as less than human and more primitive than others. Animal metaphors shine a light, a revealing light on beast, beastly reality. So that's one thing I'm going to be working on. All right, so I'm putting in the chat the website address of the contact information for Veronica's, Veronica's insurance. And so that you can use that material. So most women, just this image here, most women are not dominatrix, but the image here, this is, there aren't good women and bad women. In fact, what Rolo Tomasi says is that bad women are just women who have been caught. And these is, this is actually two sides of the same coin, except that women are not necessarily dominatrix. They don't want to be dominatrix, even though the image sort of makes it seem like that. And then, and this is, this is what the book of Proverbs says, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above ruby, which sort of says there is no virtuous woman. And even if she were virtuous, she's very high priced. She's a real expensive. What I'd like to do, I think would be the easiest thing for me to do, is there's a section in Rolo Tomasi's book. 
And there is a recording by Rich Cooper, but basically all it really says is that, hey, these women will surprise you. The guys say, hey, I never thought she would do that, but then she did. So don't be surprised. Um, so let me get this. I want to read this um, little section to you, and um, and then we can go ahead and talk about it. 244. So it's on page 244 of the book. Okay, the myth of the good girl. All right. So good girls are just bad girls who never got caught. Allow me to relate here a case study I counseled a friend on personally about six years ago. I have a very good friend, Rick, that I hired and worked with. Though he started out, though we started out as work associates, he became one of my better friends and had the benefit of my personally having unplugged him from the matrix. He was a good student, for lack of a better term. But in becoming so, he went through a transformation process. Like most guys, fed on a lifetime of feminine conditioning, he patronizingly accepted what I was initially teaching him. But privately, he st still clung to his average frustrated chump mentalities. That is, until the turning point came. Unbeknownst to me, Rick had entertained a flirtatious relationship with a semi-attractive public relations girl we were working with for a while. He knew what I said about the let's, let's just be friends rejections and playing friends with women. So he left me out of the loop on the whole affair. He had dated her on several occasions but beyond the infrequent kiss while drunk, she kept him at arm's distance until the standard filibuster techniques women classically use. I'm not ready for a relationship. I'm not looking for a boyfriend. We're good friends, etc. She did, however, keep in in her attention web with little carrots of affection for him to pull her cart for about three or four months. Mind you, Rick was never a chump. He hooked up with his share of women, but this cute good girl, who was at best a, he says HB7, which I assume means hot babe seven, developed into one-eyedness for him. This all came to a head when one night he had to do some work with Aaron Lewis, yes, from Stayed, Stained, while he was doing his solo acoustic act at our casino. So Rolo Tomasi is a rock musician. To make a long story short, the PR girl ended up buzzed on that night and fucked Aaron Lewis, tour manager, in a classic situation of right alpha, right environment, right conditions. Her mistake was, in feeling the need to confess her actions to Rick, who felt betrayed considering all the investment he'd put into doing what he thought was the right way to go about things. Here, one guy 
here was one guy who on one night, who she fucked in a moment of chemical reaction because he was hot, I was drunk, and one thing led to another. Versus the three to four month personal investment, I, and he says a relational equity policy. This was, of course, when he consulted me and informed me in everything leading up to it. Only now he was at an impasse. She apologized profusely to him and held out once again the olive branch of let's just be friends rejection. He asked me what he should say. And it was at this point he took the initiative to tell her, no, we can't just be friends. He did what I advised him to, and he walked away from a woman for the first time in his life. That is when all hell broke loose for her. She'd never met, she's never been met with this response before, and all the cards were straight, went straight into Rick's hands. She would consistently bump into him at bars or events to have another talk. She did a complete 180 in her attitude with him, all in an effort to be his friend. Now, I'm exceptionally proud of Rick because like most guys finding the true power of a takeaway, he stuck with it rather than being contented with her chasing him and then giving him the let's just be friends rejection. He had actually learned a valuable tool that he still uses now the power of the takeaway. In addition, he also came to understand the principle of understanding a woman, not by what she says, but by what she does. The medium is the message. He learned the importance of reading behavior. Of course, after about six or eight months, she stopped pursuing him to be friends. And he has talked to her in the interim years but the frame of their discourse has changed. She has respect for him and that she never had when he was the pursuer and never would have had if he'd surrendered to another, let's just be friends, pawn game, basically. So the girl at every opportunity loved to display her properness and would always say, she wanted a man with a good heart when asked what she looked for in a guy. She is very outgoing as benefits a public relations person, but at all times she presented herself as someone conscious of how people perceived her and her reputation. Hers was a classic case of basing estimations upon behavior above words. Biology trumps conviction. Sexuality, for as much as we think we can, will not go unexpressed. Celibate priest, moralistic conservative statesman, and the pure as the driven snow virtuous girl, you've got one-eyed for, all want to get off. And they'll find a way to do so. According to Facebook, she now lives in Montana with a thoroughly beta husband who likely has no idea that she has the capacity for raw, feral hypergamy. One of the trappings of a woman a guy perceives as a good girl 
is that he half a tendency to penalize her by her by default. White knights are a given, but even-handed pickup art artists are prone to want to read more into the personality of a good girl. Acutis eight. Good girl is a recipe for one-itis because she seems to be above seduction. I just want a guy with a good heart. Sounds so fairy tale perfect, and with just the right amount of naive naivete applied, she comes off as a girl who truly believes Disney wishes really do come true. The guys with game, she's a jewel in the rough amongst the bitch shielded mean girls that populate the new hookup paradigm. Two chumpish white knights, she's an archetype, the innocent damsel who needs to be saved from the world before it corrupts her soul and she turns into all the other women who won't date them. Both of them are equally shocked when she spontaneously fucks an alpha tour manager. If you haven't done so yet, I highly recommend adding The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene to your reading list. In this seminal work, he begins by profiling the archetypes of seducers, and amongst them we find our good girl is really the natural, a childlike innocence that masks a seductive motive. You may be inclined to think of a good girl as a prude, but this is often in error. The good girl needs to be seductively cute enough to make her hypergamy work for her. Any marginal crudeness is reserved for putting a suitor into stasis long enough to evalu evaluate better options. Or in the case of our public relations girl, the option to capitalize on an immediate alpha experience. The good girl's game is built around playing to the quality woman mythos that men harbor. They want to believe she exists among a sea of vapid, self-absorbed sluts looking to cash in before they hit the wall. She's not the prudish Madonna, and she's not the whore of Babylon. She's the cute good girl somewhere in between. She's only a seven or eight, but the demigoddess, not the demigoddess nine plus. So she emanates the tantalizing potential of attainability. All of this makes for a very idealized, very cemented form of one-itis until it's graphically dispelled from the guy suffering from it. Just like all men have some form of game, women have their own game. Since we live in a feminine-defined reality, women's game is not considered subterfuge. It's simply how women are, or the feminine mystique. What makes a good girl contrast with other girls is still founded within the feminine social normalizations. The wise practitioner of game knows what works best for him, but he must also be aware of the game being used against him. 
One of the most important aspects of the principle of amused mastery is actually having the mastery to be amused. They, that may sound cryptic, but what it means is having the experience to know what to expect from feminine game, mastering it, and being able to, I guess, respond with an amused laugh. And quite frankly, I'm not there yet. For example, the operative goal of good girl game is to maximize hypergamy. This is a foundation of game. So in knowing this, you can craft an amused response to any seductive seduction methodology women use on you. The good girl is still looking for an alpha and will still stop the good girl car to get out and fuck him should the opportunity arise. When you deal with the good girl or any of her sister's methods, always see, what was it, see them beginning with the end in mind. So I've been getting recently, and the second time I got it, where the woman says, I want to be friends first. And I say, to me, great. But dating and friendship are two different types of relationships. Dating's much more formal. You know, you want to be friends first, that's great. Split the bill. Really, split the bill. I, I'm not dating you. There's no opportunity for romance. It's not a romantic encounter. It's not a date. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Lo and behold, all of a sudden, they want a traditional relationship. You know, it, I mean, I don't know what the second woman, she's still contacting me because I found a way to talk about it in a way that doesn't push them away, I guess. And um, that's just to point out that, you know, friends don't date. The definition of a friend is somebody you're not dating. Hmm. So, um, so keep that in mind when a woman says she wants to be friends first, um, that she's that's the good girl, right? I just want to be friends first. She's ripping you off. She's taking your money. Right. Can I jump in here, Rich? Yeah, go ahead. Un, un, um, turn on your camera. Okay. Okay. There we go. Uh, yeah. So if you get, you know, friend zone or she says, then in a sense, your pursuit of her romantically ends or is suspended, whatever the case. But she's basically telling you, yeah, we're not heading in a romantic direction and so if something can happen and change that but you're right if that's the case then don't pay for dinners and take it as this is not happening unless something changes you know and so anyway but another way is just to say okay well let me know if you're interested in dating and then here's my number yeah but i mean i i interpret it as that way yeah. And I just tell them, you know, I would love to, I will be your friend for as long as you want. I'm not paying for your dates. I'm yeah. not paying for you. That's not a friendship. That's not what that's about. Usually that's when the whole scam gets revealed and what they really want is somebody to pay for them. And without any romantic interest, you know, but there may be some romantic interest there. A good, 
not a good one, but I don't know, maybe some women will accept it if you explain it to them right, that a friendship and a dating relationship are different types of relationships. And one is more formal, you know, we pay for dates, you know, that's what a date is. Um, friends, it's not. And we don't have to pay and we shouldn't pay. Um, right. I'm, and that's important because it's an action. You're taking an action. You're saying, OK, if you're the one that is asserting the friendship. So that means this. So then she'll understand you're saying, well, things will not continue as they were then because you're right. not saying you want to be romantically involved. Yeah. Right. And that's when this one woman said to me, I have to think about it. And it made me angry. It made me angry because if she truly wanted to be friends, she would have jumped on it, right? If she truly wanted to be friends first, she would have took me up on the offer. You know, she was not a poor woman. She drove a Tesla. She was not a poor woman, you know. What is America at our best? A beacon of hope for the oppressed. The strength to stand with those who love liberty and respect human dignity. The courage to oppose murderous tyrants. Some question if America's greatness is only our history, not our future. But in a dangerous and changing world, President Joe Biden reminds the world what it means to be an American. That America is great when we are good. While air raid sirens blared, President Biden stood side by side with the democracy under attack. He's brought the freedom-loving world together to once again unite against a monstrous tyranny of darkness. We are Americans. Joe Biden is our president. We stand with freedom. We stand with Ukraine.